Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, joined, as always, by former USC quarterback, now Trojans analyst, Max Brown. And we have a great game to break down and preview as number 21 USC goes on the road to number 17 Washington, a pivotal Pac-12 showdown that will really shape the season one way or the other for either team. Now, before we get into the podcast, I want to note that we had a recording window of Thursday afternoon here, and it was right before Clay Helton's uh, final press conference of the week where he gave his final injury update. So we recorded this podcast working under the strong assumption that Keaton Slovis, Elijah Griffin, and Talanoa Hufanga would be out for this game. That was later confirmed by, by Helton, but there are moments in the podcast where we refer to it as up in the air, um, but the discussion pretty much revolves around them not playing, so it's, it's right on point. With that, we'll get right into it, and I will introduce you to my co-host, Max Brown. Max, what is your excitement level for this game? Yeah, I'm fired up. This will be a good one. Um, like you kind of touched on there qu- quickly, I mean, a bunch of different storylines, a bunch of different factors at play. I think uh, I heard earlier this week it's the first time both USC and Washington have, have met ranks since like 2002 or something. So both in the hunt. And I think for both teams, obviously, there's more at stake probably long term for this USC team. But both teams, you kind of you kind of have to win this game to not get too far behind in the conference or not get too far behind in your in, in your schedule. I know if it, in the event that SC were to lose, it's only one conference loss, but then they kind of take a step back for the step forward they took last week for UW. If they lose, that's two conference losses. That That's going to be tough to, to, to dig out in the north. So I hate using the, the term must win, but uh, definitely kind of ha- feels like uh, there's bits and pieces of that this week. Well, I think months ago – when people are looking at the schedule, I think most would have circled this as a loss for USC. And I think if you're looking at it from the outside and you say the Trojans are playing their third-string quarterback, they're going on the road, they have some uh, depth issues in the secondary, you'd have to circle Washington again. Vegas is definitely doing that. Washington's a 10.5-point favorite in this game. Does that line seem fair to you? The line does not seem fair. That seems too high. Um, I think the injuries as the week plays out are going to ultimately kind of determine where I pick, but that 10 points seems awfully high. I mean, UW's, UW's really good, but I, I think uh, that, that just feels high with the with how potent SC's offense is. Well, and, and you have USC coming off its biggest high of the season, a 30-23 win over Utah last week. We broke that game down in, in the, the Tuesday pod. And and that game was with Matt Fink at quarterback. So they've already shown what they can do when, when kind of forced down the depth chart. It's just can they replicate it? Can they, can they do it on the road? Clay Helton has a, a pretty rough road record. And I, I don't know what the overriding explainer is for that, which you would point to. But the facts are the facts. This team has played different on the road, especially the last year and a half now, last season and, and the loss to BYU earlier this season. Let's, let's kind of start there. I, I mean, pay, paint the picture for people who who just know that road games are tough. But from a player's standpoint, why are things different when you go away from home, you go on the road, you go to a, a loud venue like this is going to be? 
Yeah, I think it, it depends on the stadium. Obviously, I know, like, for me, I always enjoyed road games because you kind of I, – I loved kind of the, the back against your wall – back against the wall. It's kind of you and your brothers against the world kind of thing. But I think there's certain atmospheres in the Pac-12, and Washington's definitely one of them, where the atmosphere is pretty daunting. And I won't say intimidating because, I mean, I don't know if any SC players going in there are scared or anything like that, but – you talk about, I mean, UW fans will call it the, the greatest setting in college football, like just how the stadium's built. It's kind of on top of you. It's big. It's loud. I mean, the example I always use to people is everyone knows about Seattle Seahawks fans. Well, what do they do on Saturdays? They're all UW fans, so they just go over there and <laughs> scream their head off there. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, Seattle's got I mean, that's where I grew up. Their football fans are awesome. They're loud, um, and that fan base is super strong. And I just think that place to play is tough. I think – Sometimes it's kind of cold and rainy a little bit. I don't know if they'll get that tomorrow or uh, on Saturday, but uh, it's just a tough place to play. And I think mentally, um, especially, I think you notice it, I notice it when watching this defense, is this defense gets fired up when they get the, the USC bells ringing on third down and they have the, 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 the home fans kind of yelling and screaming for them. And you kind of get that momentum and you get that juice well it's harder to create that juice on the road because you're not going to have fans to help you out and it's just kind of it's just kind of the, the the 70 some odd guys on the sideline you got and you got to crank it up yourself but uh yeah i think it, it, that that stat line for for sc in a, in road games during clay helton's tenor is goofy because i don't think it should be that imbalanced but i mean a great opportunity obviously for sc this week having uh having not the best performance against byu a couple weeks ago Another opportunity here on the road should be uh, should be a good test. I, I know it's sometimes a tough a tough spot to put you in to kind of ask you to evaluate Clay because you you played under him for a bit uh, among other coaches. But is is there anything that that you take away from those experiences that you could apply to to why he struggled on the road overall in his his career? Yeah, I mean, I got I got no problem talking about Clay, but I think they're even just sitting here. I, I got they're, they're, nothing sticks out, uh, and I think if something did stick out, they'd probably address it. But I'm sitting there, and in large part, a lot of my uh, a lot of my coaches uh, operated kind of the, the, the same way um, on the road. I don't know if one thing uh, really sticks out, to to be honest. Well, I mean, this is this is one way to uh, kind of buck that trend and and change that narrative. To get a win this week, like I said, we're gonna, we're gonna go heavy into the matchup. But I always like to kind of uh, go back into your your well of experience, just because you have yeah, this love perspective on things. And and you mentioned that you grew up in this in this area, the Seattle area. You did not grow up a Washington fan, but they did recruit you very heavily, like a lot of schools did when you were the top quarterback in your class. What was that recruitment like, and was there any pull at all for you to stay home instead of choosing USC? Yeah, this is always kind of a an interesting kind of what if or like fun 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 opportunity to look back on. But yeah, Washington was my first offer just after a few days after my freshman year of high school ended. It was at a seven, a seven on seven tournament on their campus, and oddly enough, it was uh, Sark at the time. So as you can probably imagine, a couple years later. Or, I guess at that point it'd be five years later when he ultimately became my, my head coach at a different school. It was definitely a, an interesting interaction. But, yeah, I can remember Johnny Nansen, uh, obviously a SC's linebacker guy, linebacker coach. I mean, he recruited me in the, in the hallways for three or four years of my high school. Um, and so I got to know that staff really well. Uh, I mean, Ivan Lewis was at Washington. I can remember meeting all those guys, all those guys that a lot of uh, SC fans kind of – 
have become accustomed to. I mean, all those guys were at uh, were at Washington at some point. So big draw there. Obviously, being the hometown kid, uh, there was pull there. The quarterback at my high school before me was a five-star recruit, and he went to BYU instead of Washington, so they missed out on him. So there definitely was some pressure to go there, but I think people close to me knew I never really was a Washington guy, and there was nothing – Nothing against it. I just, my parents never went to UW. I never had that pull like a lot of those kids in the area have. Um, and I always kind of knew I wanted to go to a big time program. So ultimately ended up at SC, but it's just crazy sitting back here. Kind of, you talk about, um, uh, and I, I mentioned the ties from, from UW to SC, but you think about all those ties and where that Washington program was. I mean, shoot, seven years ago when I was uh, a high school recruit to where they are now. It's night and day different. Um, you talk yeah, about they're one of, one of the best programs in the country, uh, and we were talking off air, Ryan. Just if 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 I was a recruit now, and let's say I, I was I was a quarterback recruit in the class of 2020 rather than 2013, it would have been awfully hard to say no to Washington. Um, and it's a testament to what Chris Peterson's done, the consistency there. But uh, nah, it's a great fan base. Uh, I love it back home. Love Seattle, but. Uh, SC, SC came calling, and uh, I signed on to the dotted line. And, uh, yeah, would have done, done it the same way if I uh, had to do, do it over again. I'm always curious about, curious about this with, with any uh, top prospects who, who come from a big city and, and what the, just the, the community pool is. Is there actual pressure from people in the community to stay home and, and to, to represent that hometown team, even if it wasn't one you grew up rooting for? Do you hear that a lot from people just at the high school, uh, around, at camps, et cetera? Um, I definitely heard it, um, but I just think people that really had one of my ears, so like were really close to me, uh, and I've, I've got this comment over the years from friends, where you, they just kind of knew. I think they knew that I wasn't, I mean, in, in the Seattle area, it's like you're either all Huskies or you're all out. Like you're all in or you're all out. And that's what makes that fan base great. And so when I wasn't in, I think I, I never had that like pull. I never was kind of like hanging around practice every weekend or or just kind of wearing the Husky purple in the hallways like growing up in middle school and high school. Like that never was a thing for me. And so I think people close to me kind of knew the deal. Um, and Washington was definitely in the option. But uh, I think it's a testament to kind of my friends and family that there wasn't uh, incredible, incredible pressure. But, I mean, just like anything, when you're the top guy in the area, um, and I, I think there definitely was maybe a hope that I was going to go there. But I'd like to think I handled my recruiting process well where I wasn't leading anyone on. I committed to SC, like, before my senior year. So uh, UW was able to get some guys. But was there pressure? Sure. But was it daunting, like some of the stories you hear where – Guys are getting threats and all that. No, nah, it wasn't like that. Well, Washington and, and Chris Peterson have definitely gotten some quarterbacks, and they have a guy now that is uh, is really intriguing. Jacob Eason was uh, in the same position you were a, a few years later in his class, one of the top prospects nationally. Ends up going to Georgia for two years and uh, started as a, as a true freshman, then kind of seeded uh, that job to – Jake from his second year so Jacob Eason transfers back home goes to Washington and has to sit out a year and now is getting his chance to finally fulfill all that hype and um and promise he had coming out as a top high school prospect and he's doing it so far I mean he's been all the talk this week around the USC practice field everyone was asking the Clancy Pendergast and the players yesterday about him. Clancy said he's as advertised. Everything you, you, you read about him, everything you heard about him as a prospect coming out of high school, you can definitely see it on film. 
through four games this year, he's averaging 265.8 yards per game passing, 10 TDs total, two interceptions, and coming off just a masterful performance against BYU, 24 of 28, 290, three touchdowns, did have one pick, but Washington rolled BYU 45-19. Let's, let's go in deep on Jacob Beeson here and just what's the first thing that strikes you about him as you see him on film? First thing that strikes me on film is uh, his arm strength, um, which any fan can kind of kind of drool over. But it's cool for me. I'm just happy for this kid, man. I remember uh, my senior year of high school. Um, I got a text from my quarterback coach at the time. It said, "Hey, there's this there's this young freshman guy, or he may have even been eighth grader, but uh, freshman guy on Lake Stevens High School. He's a backup, but uh, he's the next great one. Shake his hand after the game if uh, if you see him." And sure <laughs> enough, sure enough, yeah, I. Uh, my team played him in the first round of the championship, and he may have got in towards the end of the game, like for a few reps. But sure enough, I like remember hunting down number ten or whatever he was, and hey man, how's it going? Like best of luck, work hard, kind of thing. And uh, sure enough, four or five years later, he's uh, Gatorade National Player of the Year. Like you said, kind of did this, some of the same things I did, and then went to Georgia. And I, I've trained with him. I trained with him uh, when I was in high school, and when I was at SC, and would come back to the area with the same QB, same QB guy. So. I won't sit here and say we're like close, but I definitely know the guy and definitely know his path and uh, his parents and stuff. So happy that, I mean, I, I was on Pac-12 Network last night or two nights ago and they asked me the same question. And my first reaction was just imagine the pressure on this kid. You talk about the second that Jake Fromm started getting real reps, the yep. the, the UW at Georgia, the, the UW site started saying, here we go. Here we go. Um, Jacob Eason could be coming back. And there was always kind of the narrative that Chris Peterson had left the door open, and in, meaning that when Jacob went to Georgia, it was, hey, if things don't ever work out, you gotta, you always have a home back here at Washington. So there was always kind of the, the, the door was shut, but it was left cracked open a little bit. And uh, for, so for him to come back and then this past and then sit out and then this past year really go neck and neck in a, in a competition battle with Jake Hayner, who – from, from an outsider perspective, you talk about, I mean, it, like everyone said, oh, there's no competition. Ah, it was Jacob Easton the whole, well, the whole way. But the reality is I know how those competition battles go. And some, there's pressure and there's expectations. And sometimes it's the guy that makes the most, like, that, that throws the least amount of picks, kind of wins the job kind of thing. And I'm sure there was there was just that all that pressure and anxiety that was probably on him to, to live up to that hype, to be the hometown kid, to resurrect this program, all that stuff he's had to wear. And I think over the course of the season, you've you've seen him progressively settle down. And I say that not in a negative way, not like not like in the beginning games that he was all off kilter and stuff. Like, no, he, he was fine. But I think now you really see him settling in and he's making some big league throws. I was just uh, shooting messages back and forth with uh, – with uh, with Guy Haberman of the Pac-12 Network, and he was kind of talking about some of his some of the throws he's seen, and, and it's throws that on TV he's just making look easy, and you don't really like notice it, but it's dig throws that he's fitting in there in between linebackers before a safety can break, throwing it early. It's a glance post route that he's really driving in there, and so I think you see him getting getting comfortable. Um, but his arm talent, which is a term you always use, uh, but it's true with Jacob Eason. I mean, it's right there. He's big. But he's not like sloppy big at all. Like he's functional big. He's all of six six, uh, well built, quick release. Like there's no sense of him getting long or or uh, kind of having big man problems in the pocket. I guess you could say it's just when you talk about a quarterback prospect or an NFL prospect, if uh, if it doesn't look like Jacob Eason, it looks awfully close. So um, <laughs> SC's gonna have their hands full for sure. 
when was the last time you uh, you worked out with him? Was he already at Georgia by then, or was that before that? Yeah, it's probably been three or four years, to be honest, just because, yeah, I mean, I was in I was in uh, Southern California or Pittsburgh or whatever, and any time I went home, he was probably in Georgia. So it's been a while, but uh, I remember when I was a senior in high school and then those first first few years at SC, whenever I would come home and he was in high school, we'd uh, we'd link up. So you mentioned the word arm talent, and I, I want to get this from a quarterback's perspective. What's the one thing that, that wows you the most when you see a guy throw and you just know that he has that quote-unquote arm talent, that next level ability? It, it, is, it, is it a certain route that, that he can hit? Is it a certain uh, whatever? You can, you can just tell even on the practice field, this guy has something extra. Yeah, I don't think it's a specific route because I think every quarterback or just, I mean, when you're talking Washington and USC and and Cal or whatever, all the quarterbacks, like, they can make every throw. Every quarterback can make a 16-yard comeback. Like, so, I, I mean, that, that's where I, it might not look the same, but everyone can make it. And so, for sure. me, for me, the difference is, and there's two throws in my mind that I can visually, I wish we had, uh, like, video, <laughs> but there's two throws in my mind that he made against BYU that... The fact that he's even attempting those throws shows that he has the confidence in his arm talent to even get the ball in there. Like there's certain plays that, okay, that guy's like not really open. Like if he got if he got if he got off that progression, you're not faulting him for it. But because he has the arm talent, he's able to even attempt the throw and then fit it in there. It's the deep digs. It's the glance route, which is like a little a time post in between a safety or corner. That's when the arm talent really pops out to me. And so I don't think it's one specific route, but there's certain plays that when he's even able to get it in the window because he's able to have confidence in his arm to throw it in the first place, that's what jumps out to, jumps out at to me. I think um, Easton had it. I think uh, shoot Darnold when when we were there. I mean, uh, we, we saw that at times in terms of him really uh, just having the confidence to even pull the trigger in the first place. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what special quarterbacks do. And uh, so far, Jacob Easton's uh, he's at least in that uh, in that sentence. Well, we've talked about the ongoing storyline of this young USC secondary, and I think the consensus is that this week is uh, the toughest challenge that they will have faced to this point. And it's a, it's a different challenge because, I mean, to this point, we've had four games and we've had three kind of dual-threat quarterbacks. You had Jorge Reina from Fresno State. You had Zach Wilson, BYU, Tyler Huntley, Utah. Davis Mills at Stanford was, was maybe more of a pocket guy, but that was, his, that was a spot start off the bench. This is the best pure passer they're going to face. Is, is that a fair assessment? And, 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 and how, how much how tougher is this matchup for USC than what they've seen so far? Yeah, definitely the best pure passer they'll, they'll see. I guess, I mean, if we're get, really getting nitty-gritty, like Justin Herbert you could put up there. In terms of pocket passer, I'll probably take Jacob Eason. Um, I mean, if I'm a NFL scout, which that's probably a, a debate for a different time. But uh, best, pure, best pure pocket passer you'll see. I also think this UW offense is advantageous, and Chris Peterson's been doing it for, shoot, two decades now, but they do a lot. So it's it's not just going to be, like you mentioned, Davis uh, Davis Mills, it's not just going to be uh, sitting back there at one one point and uh, throwing fade balls to tight ends and, and dig routes. No, with Jacob Eason, they're going to roll him a little bit. They're going to get him in play action. They're going to have him in the gun. They're going to have him doing quick game, uh, intermediate game, kind of moving him a little bit. So you're going to see the whole array of throws, which I think um, is, is advantageous for a Jacob Eason. I think it's tough for a USC because – 
You're not you're not walking into this game like you would be with Stanford, where it's you have you're really dialing up these pressures, and you know the quarterback's going to be right there. I think it makes for a tough challenge. And throughout all his quarterbacks that Chris Peterson's had, he's always been innovative. He's always been creative, and uh, that definitely shows on film as well. So, so if you're crafting a defensive game plan against Jacob Beeson in this Washington passing attack, is there something that you think that USC should try and do that that would help? And then. What's what's the area of most concern for you in this matchup for that Trojan secondary? Yeah, I think um, I think for me when I when I kind of go down the, the the SC depth chart right now in Week Five, I think the strength is their defensive line, and going into this game, the weakness could very well be the the defensive back. So just simple kind of logic there. Um, can it re- really rely on the defensive line? Maybe rushing three or four at times, and then give an extra help and coverage might be the game plan. Um, I think maybe three is probably a little aggressive, but rushing four and saying, you know what, guys, Christian Rector, Drake Jackson, Mar- Marlon Tuipelotu, who's getting great rush these days, J2 Fele, like those four, those guys got to come to play. Those guys got to rush as if you're having five. But then as I say that, I know Clancy. Clancy wants to bring pressure. He wants to say, all right, you're an NFL quarterback. Let's go. We're going to get after you. So, I envision Clancy to dial up some 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 unique and timely five man pressures. I think when you get into the six and seven man pressure game, that's where I think you put uh, you put your secondary on islands at times, and that makes me nervous. So I would stick with five man pressures, whatever that is, whether it's walking guys around, whether it's bringing John Houston at times, whether it's um, lining EA up on the edge and just kind of having him go. That's what I would lean on. But uh, at the end of the day, this young secondary is going to have to step up. I think the bright side is I don't look at that uh, the, the Washington receivers, and I do not see a John Ross. Um, I do not see uh, I'm blanking, uh, a Dante Pettis. That, that those guys aren't out there. But Fuller um, out there and Bocelli, number two and number five, those are good players, but they don't scare me as much as some of those guys in, uh, in previous years do. How do you see them utilizing Hunter Bryant, the big tight end? He has 19 catches, uh, 285 yards, and touchdowns so far. That's a great question. I, I left uh, I left the best of them all out. Uh, Hunter Bryant's special. Uh, I mean, you could really make the argument the two. Let me make sure uh, I go through all both depth charts before I make this statement. Uh, yeah, you could make the, you could make the case that the two best NFL prospects on this field are Jacob Eason and Hunter Bryant. Hunter Bryant is special. Uh, he's a tight end. He, I remember uh, I was on the sideline last year for the uh, UW, the UW Oregon State game, um, doing some some work up there. And uh, Hunter Bryant looks like a physical freak. They do a good job of lining up, lining him up at a true tight end, also lining him up in the slot, moving him around. They have him just uh, getting balls kind of easy in the flat, then also over routes and some vertical concepts. So that to me is the tough matchup. Uh, for Washington or for uh, for SC tonight or for SC this weekend, excuse me. Um, while the receivers might not scare me as much that Hunter Bryant does, and I think that's going to be fascinating to follow because with with Talanoa Hufunga him being out, I know last week the uh, Clancy had him play at that nickel spot a little bit, and then they put Greg Johnson back in a more safety spot, and then vice versa at times because if you're Clancy, you do not want Greg Johnson on Hunter Bryant. Greg's a, Greg's a corner body, as we know. He's a, he's a cornerback body. Hunter Bryant's too big, too physical for him. So Talanoa, like getting him healthy would be huge because you could put him over a Hunter Bryant. And I don't know, I don't know you're ever going to stop Hunter Bryant, but you can, you can at least slow him down. So 
that whole dynamic there of, okay, if it is Chase Williams, how does he play? Does Washington really try to attack? So that dynamic's interesting, and I look for uh, for Washington to find ways to get Hunter Bryant the ball in a bunch of ways, not just simple maybe fade balls like we saw with a lot of Colby Parkinson and kind of vertical routes. I envision Hunter Bryant trying to get the ball easy in the flat, over routes, verticals, all, the whole the whole array kind of like I touched on. Well, you've you've gotten to the to the the true point of peril here in this matchup for USC is is the uh, depleted depth in the secondary. It's a huge loss, not only for the reasons you mentioned, but on a team that struggles largely across the board with tackling, he is like the shining exception. He he is like a like a walking uh, textbook diagram of how to tackle. And he had 14 against Utah. He, he leads the team this season with over 40. Clay Helton, um, who can be prone to some hyperbole at times, said it was the best safety performance he'd seen in his 10 years at USC. I'm going to guess that he's maybe seen a safety make a couple of picks in the game or something. So uh, we'll give him a pass on it. But it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely the best safety play we've seen this season, and one of the best individual. Uh, defensive performances for the Trojans and he's just a huge loss Uh, so how how hard is that for USC to overcome in general not just with the Hunter Bryant matchup but just in general and what he means to this defense yeah Talano is a beast Uh, and they're they're really asking him to do a lot and I kind of touched on it my last little segment I, I, I talked about but they're asking Tal Noah to play safety as their true safety, and then at certain scenarios, they'll walk him up at the nickel or the like linebacker position and have him rush and have him be around the ball. It, it reminds me of kind of the earlier years of maybe a Sua Cravens um, at, at SC, and my my, uh, my SC memory of, of Troy Polamalu is I'm, I'm a little young for that, but uh, I envision it's probably something similar in terms of how they're using him. So I think just the sheer... Uh, weight of uh, of what they're putting on Talanoa's shoulders. Um, it obviously pre- presents an opportunity for Chase Williams, but I'll be interested to see. So if I, if you're Clancy, does that mean it's just kind of a plug and play, or does it mean you get you get uh, you 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 walk into the park with more simple looks, and as a result, it gives a more veteran quarterback in Jacob Eason a clearer picture? Because I know I know Clancy wants to mix things up. I know he wants to give different looks. I know he wants to bring different guys. That is awfully hard to do when you have backups in the game because when you do change things up, when you do bring things from different angles to try to confuse a, a great quarterback, that also means that there could potentially be confusion on your own defensive end and maybe there's holes in, in that. So to me, that that whole dynamic will, will be interesting. But I think that's the beauty of, I mean, this offseason, Chase Williams got a lot of got a lot of reps. They were, uh, SC was excited about him. So um I think, it, I mean, what an opportunity for that kid. Yeah, I, I, we were really singing his praises in the preseason because the coaching staff was singing his praises. Greg Burns was talking about just his football IQ and how intelligent this guy is, and he even compared him to Talanoa in that regard, not as an overall player, but just in, the, in terms of his ability to, to, to read and diagnose and, and know what he's looking at and, and be instinctive. And... So I expected much bigger things from Chase Williams this year. He, he he gets passed over by Greg Johnson for that nickel spot, and becomes kind of USC's uh, utility plug-in in the secondary. He's, he can play at nickel. He can play both safety spots, and uh, obviously with Ifanga out, he'll he'll be at safety. We've also seen him get burned on a couple long touchdowns already this season, though. And so, along with Greg Johnson, 
who has been up and down this year, has made some nice plays, but has also been exposed at times. I'm worried about Chase Williams in coverage because we've seen it happen a couple times now where he's where he's gotten beat. Um, there was the Fresno State long touchdown. There was kind of a miscommunication with with him and Steele, but Greg Burns I think put it on on Chase Williams. It was his responsibility. And then there was a long one at BYU uh, where he just got burned downfield. So that that's a point of concern for me. And if that were the extent of it, that's one thing. But we've also gone through this week with Elijah Griffin, USC's top cornerback, working through back spasms and a bulging disc. Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart having to, to really lock in for maybe the full game there because you can't move Greg Johnson over because you don't have your backup nickel and Chase Williams if he's playing safety. So they're really stretched thin, and they, they really need everyone to, to be at the top of their game because there isn't a lot of rotation possibility here. Without a doubt, that's that's a huge uh, huge part of this game. You talk about a depleted secondary against a, a big-time quarterback. That'll be a huge matchup. But I think it is good that maybe this offseason they had a lot of corners kind of rotating in there. A lot of guys got reps. Um, so – that, that's that we saw it at the quarterback position. The beauty of when their number is called, they're ready to go. They've had the reps, they've had the experience, they've had the mental thought process that they're going to be counted on. Maybe there's something similar there with the corners, but it gets back to my original point, and I really think SC is going to have to to lean on this defensive line. I think the defensive line is going to have to come up big, and they're going to have to. I mean, when, when when pressure is dialed up or when they do beat their man off the edge, they're going to have to get home because um, if Easton has all day to throw back there, it'll be a, it'll be a long night. Yeah, well, going back to the corners, um, to shed a positive light here, I, I've been really impressed by Chris Steele. He had, a, he had a rough debut. He didn't play a lot of snaps in that first game, had a couple breakdowns. But, man, he, he kind of uh, – solidified himself pretty quickly thereafter and has been mostly lights out the last three games if you look at the pro football focus advanced data he's given up next to nothing uh, in terms of yardage and receptions on on the balls targeted at him these last three weeks so i i'm intrigued to see him again i mean he started last week with taylor stewart out with a concussion i'm excited to see him play another full workload against a, a good team and, and see how he handles it i'm I'm a little more worried about Taylor Stewart, who started the year having the edge in that competition. He and Chris Steele were splitting reps, but uh, Taylor Stewart was getting the bulk of them early on, and it's kind of started to even out. He's a really physically gifted guy, a five-star prospect, great talent. I just don't know if all the instincts are there yet. There's been times where he's had position, he's been in the right place, but he's just not looking for the ball, or, or he's just not – He's not finishing on those plays. So, so, so that, that's, that spot, Chase Williams, Greg Johnson, those are the three that give me the most concern entering this game. But like you said, it's an opportunity for those guys too to, to change the narrative of their season and come up and, and prove something and, and change the perception. So you know, it's, that's why they play the games. That's why they play the games. Yeah, no, I think uh... – this coaching staff will, will be challenged in terms of walking in this game. I mean, we just went on uh, a whole segment about depleted secondary. We haven't even got to the fact that, I mean, we got a, we got a, uh, a depleted quarterback position. I mean, the, the whole deal, yeah. he got banged, banged up all over the place. So, um, yeah, it'll be a big test. But 
I think that's the beauty of kind of working a lot of these guys in there is uh, they'll be ready to roll. Well, you, you are mastering this podcast thing, Max. That was a, a very smooth segue. <laughs> love it. Love it. And, and, and we will indeed flip over to the USC offense versus the Washington defense aspect of this matchup. And, you know, when we did our Tuesday podcast, we didn't know what to expect in terms of Keaton Slovis and the concussion protocol. Well, at, two, at practice that day, Clay Helton was still kind of keeping it vague, and uh, Keaton's getting mental reps and everything. Graham Harrell didn't have time for that. He just kind of spelled it out that I'm trying to get Matt Fink ready to play. I love Graham. Hurt. <laughs> I know, right? It was, it was like, I, like 10 minutes after Clay talked. He, I interviewed he, him today, just, and I showed up yeah. like 60 seconds late, and he just wasn't having it. And he was like, all right, boom. Let's, let's. And he was fine. Like He did the interview, but he was uh, in and out. He's got, uh, got bigger things to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, he – He's an interesting guy because he he has a very laid back personality, but not like not during football moments. Um, yeah, he's all I, ball. I, he's all. He's not used to this whole uh, USC media circuit. I mean, uh, he's right. used to, to to Lubbock, Texas, and Pullman, Washington, and wherever North Texas is. It's there's there's no media out there. It's just all ball and all column plays. Yeah, he, I mean, he he kind of has has a fun personality on social media. He he does you know lighthearted stuff on Twitter, and yet. We talked to him during the week, and he is just locked in. So, anyways, we talked to him Tuesday, and and he said it's it's not ideal. This is what we got. Um, everyone wanted to ask what happens if Matt Fink gets hurt, and by the third question, you could tell that he was like, "We gotta hope that doesn't happen because it's gonna get really dicey if it does." And he just wanted to focus on let's assume that Matt Fink doesn't get hurt, and we're gonna try and win the game with him. So let's start there. We'll get into the contingency contingencies afterward but let's start with Matt Fink I mean it's his first start but he really played the full the full game minus two plays last week it was a great story we touched on it in the last podcast it was awesome however I think a lot of people looking at it objectively would say that some of those passes some of those floaters some of those those uh throw it up to Pittman throws might be a little tougher to land this week against Washington, especially after they've now seen him play a game and maybe have some anticipation for what to look for from him. What do you expect from Matt Fink in this environment against this defense? Yeah, I think uh, that intuitive response makes sense. I I will caution people with the fact that that Utah secondary was good. I mean, I know they may not showed it last last week or for whatever reason, but – uh, I'll take the Utah secondary over the Washington secondary right now. So use that as a reference point. Um, that's not saying Washington's bad. Obviously, they come to play every. They have a secondary that comes to play every year. But uh, I, I do net out there. But I think the point itself has some validity to it in the fact that you're not going to get away with kind of those fifty-fifty balls all the time. But then again, I mean, Michael Pittman, he's a special guy. I mean, you talk about Amon Ra, you talk about Tyler Vaughn's, like that's what those guys do. That's why they are all number one receivers. They just happen to all be on the same team. So um, I think the, the area I point to is, and we kind of touched on this probably in the week two podcast uh, with how does Keaton mentally prepare with – there's a different mental process when you're just thrown into the action and you don't have time to think and you don't have time to process and you're just going out there and playing – I think that's what we got with Matt Fink last week. And so this week, with yeah. the whole 
weekend to celebrate the whole all the i mean like i mentioned i mean i was on pac 12 network last night with him like he was right there like talking with him and uh just all the media circus and the whole deal like uh it's a different world for him especially if you talk about a week ago he was or not that long ago he was third string quarterback and then now he's kind of he, he's the guy so mentally how is he processing things and then i think that coupled with the fact that it is Washington on the road, hostile environment, uh, how, how do things work out? And I think one thing SC's done really well all year is they've started fast on offense. I'm pretty sure they have three touchdowns and th- uh, on first drives, and then the fourth uh, fourth one was a field goal. So points yep. on all drives. That's I think correct. that gets people uh, or that gets the offense in a rhythm. So all those little factors I think add up to being a big factor, which um, it'll be interesting to see. But at the end of the day. Matt Fink proved that he can play. This kid can play. It's just a matter of getting things uh, in the right place behind him. And there's something to be said about momentum in this great game that we all uh, we all love. If you get it rolling and um, things start going your way, people start pressing less. You start having more fun, and some, so there's something to be said about that. And I'm hoping that Matt uh, Matt can continue that uh, in this game. Well, if there's one thing that Matt Fink has in spades, it's confidence and. I, I think I've used this word three times this week, moxie. I don't think I, I ever use moxie in my life, <laughs> but I can't think of a better word to apply. He, do, he, just, he just has this relentless belief in his abilities that's often uh, seemingly greater than the outside belief or, or perception. And, and to his credit, it's, it's gotten him this far. It's, it's what brought him back to USC to compete when most people thought that he was coming back as a, as a depth piece. And it's what had them ready to play when this moment was called. Uh, so, so all the credit to him and his approach. I, I, don't, I don't think he'll be overwhelmed just because of the way he approaches things and, and the, the confidence he always seems to play with. I just I think it's going to be tough to replicate what he did last week in, in this environment, this matchup. Let me ask you something, though. You, you touched on it. USC has come out of the gate strong every week. Like you said, they've scored on all their opening possessions why are those first scripted plays 10, 15, whatever it is, why does that make so much difference for a quarterback for an offense? It's a great question. And the honest answer is I don't know if Graham scripts him. I know when I was there with, with, uh, with Kiffin and Sark and Helton, they scripted him then. But part of me thinks that Graham might just kind of go out there and, and do it and, and kind of wing it. But wing it's a, a, a tough term. But uh, I think it's a lot of it's probably just kind of feel the offense. I'm sure he obviously has in his mind kind of what he wants to get to, but I think uh, it's a tough question. I think maybe it's a mentality of a defense where you know about this high-powered air raid and you know about all the things that it can do, so maybe you find yourself kind of on your heels a little bit, kind of um, just just kind of waiting for, for SC to come at him, and sure. it takes takes yeah. a little bit to, to, to settle in. But uh I think it's pride to the coach's credit in terms of in terms of the mentality that they've that they've instilled in those guys in terms of we're scoring every drive like this here we go let's start fast that kind of thing but uh, yeah I think it goes in, in both sides it's awesome that you're starting fast but you'd love to keep that up throughout the whole game I think they did that against Stanford they did that uh, pretty well last week against Utah there was some three out three and outs there and some some tough spots in the third corner but. Uh, by and large, there's two sides to it, and uh, there's nothing wrong with it, obviously, if they're marching right down the field and, and having some success through the air. Yeah, well, let's, let's go back to Matt Fink and his confidence because the question that was posed to him this week was, do you approach this like you are competing for the starting job the rest of the season? 
And he said, oh, Ooh, that's yeah. a loaded question. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, it, it, it was. And it, I didn't ask it. I was, I was just there. But uh, he said, oh, yeah. And he, and he didn't hesitate. He was all about it. Yeah, he said. Love that. You know, it's, it, it, it sucks to see anyone get hurt, but it opens up more doors and opportunities for me. And I'm going to run with that. And it was it was a very candid uh, response. You know, he could have answered that a lot differently. I don't think he needed to. I'm fine with the answer. I I, I like that he just kind of came out and said it. Like, yeah, this is this is my chance to to try and steal this job. Now, I don't think it actually is because uh, Graham Harrell was asked the same question. Clay Helton was asked the same question. Clay kind of danced around it and said, just really avoided t- touching on that and said we're just taking it week by week uh harrell was quick to say well, keaton's a very special player and and that told me all i needed to hear is that in, in his mind this is still keaton slovis's job when he comes back but who knows man it's it's already been a crazy season at this point and all, all matt Fink can do is help himself if he comes out and plays well again i i fully expect that they're being extra cautious with keaton off the concussion, uh, Notre Dame was a huge game for Clay Helton, for this team, for this season. I, I think, personally, regardless of what happens this week, I think Keaton's the starter the following week. But what's your perspective on that? My perspective on that is Clay Helton loves football, but one thing he is probably sick and tired of is all these quarterback competitions he's had to deal with uh, since his time <laughs> yeah. since his time at SC. I mean, it started with with me and Sam and kind of. SC fans that are listening to this are probably locked into the program and so obviously there was kind of the 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 back and forth controversy there there was I mean obviously uh, JT Daniels having to graduate high school early to then compete and then him getting hurt and Matt going in there and Jack Sears and all that last year and then this year you thought there's no way you can tap uh, top that and then here we go again. So I think if, if I'm him, I'm saying the same thing. He's The last thing he wants is another quarterback battle. He knows he has three guys on his roster, um, and including obviously JT, that can go in there and operate his offense and win him ball games. Now it's just like, hey, who has the, high, who, who has the highest ceiling? What's the smoothest way this can be played out? So I don't blame him for his comments there. But there's also two sides to the story. I think if Matt Fink goes on the road to Washington and we and we come back and and Ryan, me and you were talking uh, Monday night or Tuesday morning about uh, about what SC did and they and they got a win at Washington, you're gonna have a hard time sitting Matt Fink. Then you're gonna have a hard time convincing that locker room that uh, that uh, number 19 should not be behind center. So to me, I I mean I see both angles from it. I can't blame him for saying that, but. Uh, it fires me up hearing Matt Fink say that because I know that's how my mindset would be is, hey, you're giving me an opportunity, whether it's you're giving me the opportunity or the football gods are giving me the opportunity, whatever it is, I'm going to run with it. And I hope that Matt Fink takes that mentality into the game where there's no pressure. It's just he's, he's playing with kind of house money right now. Two weeks ago, he was probably planning his, his transfer. And that's kind of like where his mindset was or not two weeks, maybe a month ago after he heard he wasn't going to win the job. But now he's here and he's got an opportunity. I hope he's just saying, you know what? This is what I dreamed for as a little kid. Let me just go out and play. And and some of that playing loose and giving guys chances last week, do it again this week. If you throw a pick, you throw a pick. I mean, he did it last week and, th- and things worked out. But, um, yeah, I just hope he kind of goes into that with that mindset rather than sitting back and saying, oh, my gosh, look what I did and start making things bigger than they need to be. No, absolutely. I, and and I, I love that response as well. I, I, I love the Matt Fink story. I think it's been an awesome little wrinkle. Again, uh, separated from 
the fact that it was set up by Keaton getting hurt, that, that's definitely not good. But what he's done with that chance has been an awesome story. And we talked to him earlier this week, and, and we were just trying to get some perspective on kind of the afterglow of that game. And and uh, someone asked him, what, what's been your family's reaction? And he goes, speechless. <laughs> Uh-oh. I love it. <laughs> He, he's and, a good interviewer. Uh, it's refreshing. He, he he tells you what he thinks. And he came off the practice field Tuesday, and before he talked to us, walked over to the sideline and gave his dad a big hug. And you can just tell, like, you can, you can just see all the emotion that is going into this moment. And, and obviously you understand it because we all know his backstory and what, what's led to this point. And that's just I, – I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm a sap for these things, but that's why I love college football is, is that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Matt Fink. I'd love to see him come out and and make this quarterback conversation complicated. Uh, gives us plenty to talk about. I, I just think that we'll see Keaton Slovis against Notre Dame. But, but, but your point's right. If they beat Washington and he comes close to replicating what he did against Utah, then, gosh, you, you almost have to ride with it. So I, I will I will see to you on that and say that would be a hard sell in that case. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Let's talk about this this matchup in the brother sense though. What jumps out to you about the Washington defense? What what is your biggest concern from a Trojans perspective? Yeah, um, I think it's just a sound defense, and that might not be the the fancy answer, but I think that's just kind of what you've known to to come in and expect out of this team. I think in years past, this Washington defense has really been daunting. I mean, you talk about for a while there, they had Vita Vey, who was like the best defensive tackle, best nose guard in college football. And you better believe when you turned on the film, he stuck out to you. I mean, he was he was a beast. He, he allowed you to rush three um, and, and really wreak havoc on a quarterback, which they, Washington had a ton of success on that year, specifically when they played uh, Mike Leach's air raid, is they were able to rush three and because they had a good defensive line and they had a stud up front and drop eight behind it, which is, as people probably hear me say that, there's some BYU flashes of horror coming in. Um, but then I think my couple years, probably three years back, they had their entire uh, secondary was NFL guys with Buda Baker and Kevin King now starting for the Packers and uh, – um, the, the other guy that uh, went, went first round to the Eagles as well. So they had dudes back there. I don't know if I necessarily see that in terms of just dudes that are like elite players, but I just see a sound group. I see a, guy that's, a group that's well coached. They fly around. They, they're stout. They, they, they do their job. I think if you're looking at one maybe weak spot, it's maybe that, that interior backer spot. They have some guys that uh, don't necessarily blow you away, and you're probably turning on the film thinking you can get after them. But by and large, just a sound defense, and I think – um, a lot of it's going to come down to kind of scheme and whether Washington can out-scheme uh, USC and whether or not uh, Matt Fink can, can make him pay when, uh, when the plays are there. Well, in terms of helping out Matt Fink, we just don't know what to expect from this rushing attack that was, was mostly absent against Utah, has been spotty. I'm, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not even going to mention Marquis Stepp. Just leaving that alone. I'm going to ask you, in general, in a general sense, have you? Do you still have confidence in this rushing attack, or have you kind of checked out on it? No, I definitely still have confidence in the rushing attack. To me, I think it's a lot of it's just scheme, right? It's kind of, kind of just every week we're going to have a different. Like, I had. I, 
I had a let me phrase it a different way. I had a Washington fan this week kind of hit me up and say, "Hey, Max, like, uh, what's the deal with this offense? Like, we thought it was air raid, and it's really just like kind of not looking like that, and doesn't look like what we expected." And to me, it's okay. Yes, that that is true from an outsider's perspective, but when you really dive in. Graham's just reacting to the to the defensive schemes he's facing. And so to me, that's a big picture in this every single week is if teams do apply, apply more pressure in the box, it's going to be more of a throw day. If they don't apply, uh, don't apply as much pressure in the box, you're going to get 30, 40 yard rushes like uh, 30, or 30, 30 or 40 rush or carries like we saw against BYU. So um, to me, I think a lot of it's scheme. I have not given up on this uh, run attack. And, and if anything, I think I've gotten more comfortable with it in terms of I think the, the, the way, if guys stay healthy, the, 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 the case or the, the, the pattern that's going to start is, I mean, obviously Marquis Step, um, or excuse me, they're going to have uh, Vi and Stephen Carr kind of rotating every single series, and then Marquis Step's going to be in there on like crucial short yardage situations, and that's going to be kind of the rhythm and if guys stay healthy, and, and I don't mind that. I don't mind... Uh, I know, I know Steps, Steps your guy, but I also know you like all three backs. But if they keep stepping there for, for, for short yardage type situations when they really have to get it like we saw against Utah, I don't mind it. But uh, this offensive line, I think, was challenged last week. They responded. Let's, let, let, let's see how they do this year when it's not necessarily them that's having the, – they, they aren't necessarily having the spotlight on them. Can they still show up to play? Can they still punish guys? Um, that's what I want to see. At the least, I would like to see Marquis Step using short yardage earlier in the game and not just saved for the fourth quarter in, in those moments. Uh, hopefully they've seen that he's delivered almost every time in those spots and maybe you can go to him uh, sooner in the game. But I, I told you I wasn't going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We're going to stay away from that whole debate. It's uh, at least for this <laughs> podcast. We're going to run out of mitts, um, yeah. Hey, no, <laughs> I don't blame you. So I, I have another X's nose or question for you inside football question so we asked Graham Harrell about the rushing attack and he said it was it was really communication breakdowns with the offensive line the running backs and he didn't get detail into what exactly the breakdown was but is, is there something you can address in a general sense about about how important the communication factors can be in, in, in the run blocking in the run game and how how things can go awry in that way and, and kind of bog everything down Definitely, yeah, and I think um, that's to Utah's credit in, in some regard in the fact that what Utah did mix things up. They did do some drop eight. They did do some man. They did do some just base coverage type stuff, and so when you're doing that as an offensive line, you get a different picture every single time. A lot of these air raid offensive lines, they're used to kind of seeing the same picture like kind of throughout the game. The defense kind of – the opposing defense comes to the park with kind of one scheme, and they kind of stick to that. To Utah's credit, they mix it up, which as a result, it forces an offensive line to make more calls. It forces an offensive line to account for different bodies in different spots. And so um, that's the nature of a scheme. I expect Utah or uh, I expect Washington to do something similar. That's kind of their their DNA is mixing things up kind of kind of thing. So uh, communication is, is going to have to be crucial for this uh this uh, USC offensive line. And I think on the road in a hostile environment, that's even harder to do. So. Um, yeah, I think as I know Clay Helton and, and Drevno, they, they they teach a mentality of kind of when you call it, stick with it, whatever that offensive line call is, even if the opposing defense is kind of moving around and doing some different things. So uh, Graham's point spot on in terms of communication is key, and you can block the entire play right, but if you have one guy obviously kind of 
that, 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 that runs through a gap or whatever it may be, it shuts the entire play down. And especially in this offense where it takes a little bit to get the run game going. It's not necessarily downhill and right at you. It kind of takes a little bit. So um, sure those up will be big for the O-line. So for those of us who, who have never been in those calls and, and the pre-snap adjustments, whatever, is, is it just uh, one offensive lineman doing something different that he's not supposed to do and, that, and the whole thing collapses because of that? Like, yeah. What, what, what exactly manifests from a communication breakdown? Yep. So I would be willing to bet uh, Brett Nealon center, uh, he makes the, the base call. And in this air raid, the whole point of the air raid is a lot of they only have so many run plays. So they only have so many calls you can do. And a lot of it's kind of zone blocking, right? So it's the guard and the tackle communicating that they need to double the defensive lineman and then move up to the linebacker kind of thing. Well, what happens when that linebacker moves to a different gap or that defensive line kind of shifts Mm. a little bit or they bring a different front or they bring a different pressure? Those are different bodies that you're having to account for, and that makes it tough versus when you play BYU, those guys are getting the same look every play. Brett Nealon's probably giving the same call every play. It's just a matter of who can beat, who who can win man-on-man. Versus Utah, it's just it was a different game, and I think Washington will be some of the same. So... All those communications are uh, are hard, but it's nothing new necessarily because if you pay attention to what I said, I mentioned kind of center guard tackle. There's not a whole lot of like tight end communication, and I know um, Chroman Oak's in there, and I know he's having to do some things, but by and large, it's kind of those front five guys just having to uh, react and play together, and by week five, those guys should have some, some cohesiveness, so those communication things you'd like to see uh, not be an issue moving forward. Okay, well, well, you are more optimistic on the rushing attack than I am, but we'll see what happens. So, what, what, I, are, you, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I know you love the backs, but uh, not as optimistic with the offensive line. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I really want to get your perspective. I, I, I don't I don't diagnose the X's and O's breakdowns and why it's not working. I just see that it seems to consistently not be working very well. And I. I Again, I've said it before, I, I think that for Stephen Carr to be successful, he has to be used in the right way, and they're just using him because it's his time to be used, and, and he's being shut down, and, and, and that's what brings the whole marquee step debate into play is, is the situations and what they're seeing, what they're up against, and whether or not marquee step is a better fit for those moments than Stephen Carr is. I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I, guess, I guess for me, my big thing is I don't think that, that – like. For, for with this offense, the rushing attack is never going to be something that we come back on our on our Tuesday podcast and be like, oh wow, they really hung their hat on that. Like to me, that's just like not what you got with with signing Graham Harrell. So to me, it's not like a big concern. I guess you could say I don't look at it and I'm like, oh wow, they really got to answer that because not nah. like this offense is a throwing offense. I think any sort of run game you get is almost like a a a, a, a plus because you're almost expecting not not much of it. And I think the mentality of an offensive line is. You, they, they're sitting back there and they're seeing so many completions and they're seeing so many pass calls come in, that kind of thing, that uh, maybe it's a, a mentality shift. But the, the, the point's fair in terms of the offensive line. I mean, the, the run game not necessarily being there, but I guess high level for me, there's an element of like, all right, well, uh, I mean, that's kind of what we signed up for. And so let's, let's, let's roll on the arms of, uh, of a Keaton Slovis or Matt Fink. No, absolutely. And if the pass game is working, then then absolutely. Like We came out the first half of the first game where JT threw the ball 30 times in the first half. I thought that was going to be the offense. I'm like, great, you know, run 
run whenever there's an opening you see that you like and otherwise just sling it around the field. But when they've ha- when they feel they've had to go to the run game, I just don't think it's been reliable and, and I just don't trust it in the moments where they feel they have to do that. That's my concern. Now, uh, an offshoot of that, they have a mobile quarterback in Matt Fink right now, except how much do you let him run because you have no one behind him. And the question was posed this week, and Clay Helton and Graham Harrell and Matt Fink all said that he has to be him, he has to play his game. I get that to a degree, and I definitely think that he has to be able to move outside the pocket and throw on the run and make things happen because that works for him. But I don't know that you can afford to have him take off. I mean, we saw it last year when he filled in at Utah. He took off and broke his ribs. And if he exposes himself to big hits in this game, the contingency plans are not ideal, as Graham Harrell put it. They have a walk, they have a walk-on in Brandon Perdue, who was an emergency safety in the spring, who wears number 27 and is still on call for special teams duties during practice. If he gets in there... Clay Helton said that he would have a very limited package of stuff they're, they're comfortable with him doing. They also had Tyler Vaughn's take snaps at quarterback in case they have to get really creative and just figure things out on the fly. So they got to be very careful with, with Matt Fink and what he does with his legs. Yeah, where I net out with Matt Fink is, yes, he's mobile, but he's not dynamic. Like, I, we're not talking, we're not talking uh, Tyler Huntley – or uh, Wilson at BYU. So to me, it's like, okay, yes, let him be who he is in the pocket. But I don't even know if I want Matt Fink like really getting out and like trying to juke guys and make guys miss that kind of thing. So to me, it's yes, let him be. And Matt Fink, let's be smart enough that when you when you do break the pocket, when you do run the ball, it's sly. Let's be mindful of that. Let him use his legs. But to me, it's not a huge issue just because I, I I I don't see the dynamic legs like where it's oh you really gotta. Like, I mean, not that he's Cam Newton, but, like, Cam Newton, that's a huge piece of his game of, like, okay, if you don't have him yeah. run, you are missing a huge pillar of this. Matt Fink, I just – I mean, obviously he's not Cam Newton, but I, I just don't get that same vibe in terms of uh, even a Tyler Huntley where you're, you you may have some design runs. I don't get that vibe. So let Matt Fink be who he is, and Matt Fink, be smart, get down, get out of bounds, and uh, SC will be just fine. Okay, well, let's, let's tie this all together. Uh, what does USC have to do to win this game? What is the blueprint for success? The blueprint for success. Um, they have to la- limit turnovers by Matt Fink. And I say limit and not no turnovers because I, I want Matt Fink to be Matt Fink. If, if he throws one up in this game and a corner makes a good play and, and it happens, so be it. If that's a continuing thing and it's consistently and he's making bad decisions, that's a different story. But I want Matt Fink to be Matt Fink. But I think you're not going to win this game if, if we start getting into the three and four turnover especially. But uh, even two, that, that's, uh, that's tough. And I think defensively, SC's defensive line has to come to play. I think you talk about a question at quarterback. We talked about questions at offensive line, questions in the secondary. We're not sure what happens there. One question we don't have is this defensive line. They've come to play. They've been playing great. 
Clancy needs this group to be great, especially rushing four. When they rush four, can they get pressure on the quarterback? That one element to me is the biggest thing because you look at a Drake Jackson, you look at a Christian Rector, Jay Tufele, Martin Tulipolotu, all guys that have that have had success in the, in the pass rush game. They got to be in the backfield all night, make Jacob Eason uh, have a tough night and relieve some of the pressure off this secondary. I, I couldn't agree more. I, that, to me, is the most pivotal part of this game. I think they're going to have breakdowns in the secondary. They're going to give up passes. They are not going to shut Jacob Eason down through the air. But if they can make things difficult for him uh, before he gets those passes off, that's where this game could swing in USC's favor. Now, you said that you thought the line, 10.5 points, was too big. Give us your prediction. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that it's uh, we're, we're filming this on Thursday night. So my predict- prediction will solely come down to the secondary, uh, who's healthy and who's not. If you give me a healthy Talanoa and a healthy OG, I'm picking SC to win a tight one. I'll go SC. Uh, I'll go SC 34, Washington 31. If those guys are out, I'll go Washington 38, SC. 28. Um, that's my prediction. What about you? What you got, Ryan? I'm going Washington 31 to 24. 31 24. Okay. I, I, I think we get a decent game. I think the home team has control most of the way. I think USC probably makes more mistakes than they can afford. And then we just kind of regroup at the bye week and see where the season goes. Now, again, I also thought they were going to lose to Utah. I was surprised. I was happy to be surprised. I'll be happy to be surprised again this week. But I just see it as a very tough matchup. But one I'm looking very, very much forward to. I think there's a lot of fun storylines. And uh, this team has been interesting almost every game in one way or the other. So I'm, I'm hoping that's in a positive way. Me too. Is, uh, is Fink your favorite storyline going into this game? Or is there another one that sticks out to you? No, it's it, it, it's it's all fake I, because I, again, I did not at all think what he did last week was possible from him, and, and I admitted it. I sold him short. I underestimated him, and so I really want to see if he can back it up again. And I, my expectation comes from seeing the full body of work I've seen in practice over the last year plus, and and not just from what I saw in the game last week, but maybe. Maybe what I saw in the game should be more valuable than what I've seen before that. And I, and I just – I really don't know what to expect. I, I would have a hard time having any confidence on a Matt Fink prediction. And it's kind of fun <laughs> to go into a game where you really just don't feel like you have any sense for what a guy's going to do. Yeah, it's funny hearing you say that too because you guys see him, I mean, every single day of practice in the spring and whatnot. And uh, to to know his whole body of work but then ultimately know what the world ultimately see. And maybe there is a semi-disconnect or not disconnect but at least a pleasant surprise, at least a piece of that. It's fun to see. And I guess Matt thinks the the, the, the true gamer, which you, which you got to love. That's that's the best term for him, a true gamer, and and sometimes those gamers really just need to be on on the game field to show what they can fully do. So I, I'm open minded to anything on Saturday, and I really look forward to it. Another fun podcast though, Max. Thank you for joining us as always, and look for Max twice a week on the Trojan Talk podcast every Tuesday and Friday, and then on the Trojan Talk message board at trojansports.com every Thursday where he's taking questions from subscribers. If you aren't subscribed, 
guess what? Got, a, got an opportunity for you here. Free trial. We are giving away a free trial through hey October now. 11th, which takes you almost up to the Notre Dame game. So you get all the coverage this weekend. You get all the bye week stuff. You get the, the lead up to Notre Dame for free. See if you like it. No commitment. If you do like it and you stay on, more perks. If you get a, if you have a paid monthly subscription, we tack on two more months free. If you do a paid annual subscription, we tack on six more months free. Like we are just trying to get you in to see what we're doing because we feel so confident that you like the quality of the product. Uh, use promo code USC free at sign up, and we also have it posted on the board or on the site where you can see how to how to utilize that very easily. But uh, good podcast. I will see you. I will talk to you after the game, and we'll go from there. There we go. Enjoy Seattle. Thanks, Ryan.